Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in to the Business Creators Radio Show, coming to you today from my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony where it is just beautiful weather. Now, that applies to almost every day of the year because we rarely have drizzly, humid weather, and it's usually warm. Even in the winter, the most you need is a pullover, and you're just fine. One of the benefits of my lifestyle is I get to pretty much come to you from whenever. And yes, the Business Creators Radio Show sometimes has a bit of a from the field feeling to it. We decided to do that a long time ago and our listeners love it. Now today, we're going to go down a little bit of an interesting path. This is going to be about careers. And you may be thinking, Business Creators Radio Show, what do careers have to do with this? Few things. In this day and age, and we do have listeners who fall into this category, you have folks who view themselves as corporate hustlers and ladder climbers who treat their career as an entrepreneurial venture. So this does apply to some of our listeners. Furthermore, as somebody who hires people, this can be relevant to you from the other side. And third, when it comes to things like positioning your value, negotiation skills, these are things that matter whether you're looking to get hired to work for a company and earn a paycheck, get a client for your business venture, or anything else that involves you providing a value and somebody else giving you money. We have somebody here today who I have been excited to have on this show for more than a minute. I'm on the edge of my seat for this one. His name is Mark Hirschberg. He's the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Educated at MIT, Mark has spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. If we have time, I may have to ask about that one. Let's see how this goes. Mark helped create the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, which uh, MIT's Career Success Accelerator, I think that's what it is, where he's taught for 20 years. Mark also serves on the boards of nonprofits Techie Youth and Plant a Million Corals. Yes, making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Mark Hirschberg, come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. All right, before we dive in, I read off your official bio. It's so impressive, I'm not even sure that I'm worthy to be in your presence, and this is my show. What we like to do is get to know our folks in depth a little bit. So aside from the official narrative, tell us a bit about your journey and what inspired you with it that's brought you here today to be serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I had this interesting dual track in my career. 
I began as a software developer way back during the dot-com era, and I quickly realized I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. Right. When I began to understand what that meant, it didn't mean I had to be the best programmer. It meant there were a bunch of other skills, leadership, interviewing, team building, communication, all these other skills to be successful in that role, but no one ever taught me. So I began to develop those skills in myself. And of course, I had a career that went from tiny startups as small as three people to Fortune 500s as big as 300,000 who wanted to play startup, and then spending time in academia. And the way I got into academia, as I developed these skills myself, I realized, well, I also want these skills in everyone on the team. Leadership isn't just for people with C-level titles, nor is negotiating, communication, or any of these other skills. But I couldn't find people with these skills because they weren't taught either. So I had to start training up my teams. And I began doing that. And around the same time, MIT had been getting similar feedback. Corporations were saying, we're looking for employees with these skills. We can't find them. And by the way, this is not just an MIT issue. I've seen similar feedback at other universities universally companies, big, small, and of course, this applies to solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. Everyone needs these skills, but they're not taught. So as MIT began to develop a training program, I heard about this and said, you know, I've been developing one for my own employees, happy to share what I've done. So I said, yeah, please come help us figure this out. I said, you know, we really like your input, the way you're looking at these things. We have great professors, but we'd really benefit from a practitioner. Can you come help us teach the class? And so I've been fortunate enough for the past 20 years, along with other people like me, to be teaching MIT's Career Success Accelerator. And more recently, I decided, I know it's not just MIT students who need these skills, so let's put it into a book. And that's what brings me here today. You know, it's interesting you bring up chief technology officers. Before I got involved in entrepreneurship myself, I worked for companies, and I recall this one mid-sized company I worked for for four years that had a chief technology officer. And to see this woman on the surface, oh my goodness, uh, wow, like what a nasty, cruel, unfeeling uh, slab of granite. Goodness gracious, the type of person who would look like, like if uh, you were coming one way in the hallway and she was going the other, it'd be like she'd look right through you if you nodded to her like you weren't even there. So I'm thinking, how did this person get into a chief position and how do they manage to do this? Well, appearances can be deceiving, as I discovered. One thing I was not aware of at the time was the whole thing about um, introversion, extroversion, ambiversion, and all that. One of the things that once I discovered, it kind of saved my life, is I'm so introverted, they had to create a new category on the left end of the scale just to fit me in. And what we were dealing with was our classic introverted personality, where those types of casual interactions not only have no meaning, had no meaning to her, but were probably annoying and energy draining. It just tapped too much out of her to say hello to somebody in the hallway. So retrospectively, I recognize that piece. Appearance-wise, she looked like the person who did such a good job uh, developing the company website that they promoted her because she was next in line. Uh, it took me a while to actually understand her. And one thing that was uh, very, you know, gave me some pause is for the reputation she had in the company, everybody in her reporting downline swore by her. Like what's going on here? 
one day I attended a luncheon where she was a featured presenter and we finally got to discover more about her communication style because she actually spoke in public, which is a rare thing. And I came to understand this was somebody with actually a very profound understanding of things like startups and entrepreneurships and also how to reach people on their own level and motivate them according to their own truths with their own brilliance and their passions, which is probably why the disparate kinds of people in her downline all swore by her. And she also had a human side to her. She acknowledged that, you know, candidly, she was a ballsy bitch from Brooklyn. Those are her words. Uh, so, okay, now I understand. So the reason I bring that up, and I just was reminded of that, I haven't even thought of that person for years until you told me about your story, is that these kind of skills really are for everybody. Uh, folks will sometimes surprise you. And... And I think this is most important that not everybody expresses the skills in the same way. And it's incumbent upon both those who are looking to get hired and those who are looking to hire to understand this. That's my take. Great story. Now I can very much relate because I am introvert. I am extreme left brain, as you can yes. imagine. I fit the stereotype of MIT. And early in my career, that's what I focus on. I'm just going to produce good work. I don't care how I dress. That shouldn't even matter. Let me just focus on the content. I began to realize that image mattered. It actually conveyed information about you. And it really hit home to me one day when I was sitting as in an interview down in DC and I'm chatting with some folks who were talking about as during a break between the interviews, during the lunch period. So we're just chatting, a woman comes in, listens to our conversation about co corporate culture. And after listening for a couple minutes, and I'm there in a suit because I'm interviewing, yep. she says, you know, I'm curious, are you just a business person or do you have any technical skills? And so I said, oh, well, actually, I've got uh, three degrees from MIT. Two of them happen to be computer science. I said, oh, right. And that was it. Like, it shut down the conversation. It wasn't my intention, but that was like you know, mic drop. And what I realized in that moment, I have never had to prove to anyone that I am technically competent, right? I just, they hear the letters MIT and they go, great, you can do the math. You understand technology, no question about it. MIT has credentialed me. But by the same token, people hear CTO and look and say, right, you get computers, but you don't know strategy. You don't understand people or teamwork, you're probably not a great communicator, all the stereotypes that go with it, positive and negative. And so I recognized I needed to convey that I had these other skills. I did have them, but they weren't known. And the example you give, if you had left that company a few weeks after you passed her in the hallway and said, oh, what a horrible woman doesn't make eye contact. And years later, someone said, oh, we're thinking of bringing her in. You go, oh, she's, she's terrible. Like, wouldn't even look at me in the hallway. Yeah. Didn't get to know the other part of her. So even when we have the skills, it is very important that we convey the skills as well. Otherwise, we miss opportunities. Yeah. So here we are. It's, uh, you know, we're in the uh, third decade of the 21st century. We, uh, there, the company 
either can't afford or has eliminated the gold watch. Uh, the idea that a person stays in one company for 40 years is non-existent. In fact, if you sit in one company for too long, people look at that funny because they say, what are you doing? You're just sitting around. You're not doing anything with your career. And uh, the shacks in Fort Lauderdale now cost a million dollars each. In other words, the idea that you get hired at a company at age 23 and work until age 62 no longer exists, which means we need career plans. So aside from that, why else do people need career plans? And what does career planning look like these days with all the changes we've seen in the environment of business? The best way to think about is to think about any project you have done ever at work. Imagine if your boss said, okay, we have to deliver this project and I'm looking to you to do it. And he said, okay, boss, great. So listen, I'm going to get a couple of folks together and uh, we'll see you in a year. The boss says, well, where, where's the budget? Oh, no, no budget. Where's the project plan? Eh, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. Oh, yeah. Right? The boss is going to say, hell no, right? I want you to come up with a plan. I want to know how we're doing and if we're going to be on target to get there. And we know things will change. We know when we create this plan, it's never going to work out exactly. We know some of the time we even change what the goal is, right? CEO six months later says, new initiative, change the project. But there's no way you would ever do a project at work without having some type of a plan. And then you have your career. That's not a year. That's decades. How can you possibly have a career without a plan? You're going to get lost. Now, like our work plans, we don't expect that when you say, this is where I want to be in 10 years, you're going to wind up exactly there. We know Things will happen. Things will change. Your values, opportunities, global pandemics hit every so often, and that's going to throw us off course. But when you have a plan, you can recognize when you're on plan, off plan, or when you need to change the plan. So what we want to do is think about where we're going, think about that future state, and then backtrack from there and say, well, to get there, right? if I want to be a CTO, here were the eight different skills I knew I needed that I didn't have. Okay, so I have to get them. I'm not going to get them all tomorrow. So what am I going to get the first year? What am I going to get the next year? And then when I have this plan, I'm going to start. Okay, year one. Well, this I better focus. I better not just say, yeah, I think I'll do this. How am I going to get the skill? Concretely, what am I going to do? The stuff in years three and four, all right. Oh, I have some semblance, but I don't have to worry about the details as much. The stuff in year 10, uh, you know, that will probably shift by the time I get there. So you have a plan, you start from your goal, you back out your plan, and the stuff in the near term, that's got to be very concrete. The stuff a little further out can be a little more vague, right? Think about your budget for this year versus your budget for the next five years out, you know, kind of placeholders, general ideas that we know will change. And then just like any plan, we want to regularly check in and then see where we're on plan, off plan, and what changes to make. So treat it like you would any other project. Yeah, I have a couple th uh, interesting thoughts here. First of all, I'm going to quote something from a book. Um, I'm not going to say it came from the book Think Big and Kick-Ass in Business and Life by Donald Trump and, uh, and Bill Zanker, because it did. Uh, but Trump gave this advice to people who are looking to rise the corporate ladder. And he said, uh, let's say, for example, you are a staff accountant in your organization. Uh, don't call yourself a staff accountant. Refer to yourself as a staff accountant on my way to becoming deputy of the CFO. So in describing yourself, you're actually programming yourself 
to take actions that move you toward what that next step is, and you're communicating to the world that you have a career plan, you have a career goal, and your purpose here is not to just be a staff accountant for the rest of your life. You have a, you have a vision of where things are headed, and it begins to help other people see you as being a deputy of the CFO and to, in the spirit of altruism, inspire them subconsciously to contribute to your success by providing you resources, support, and networks that can help you get there. So that's one item. Another is I, I've, I'm an MBA myself. I went to Duquesne University. I have an MBA with a concentration in human resource management. My plan at the time was to become a, a training and development director for a Fortune 100. That was my stated goal. Now, Obviously, you don't get that right out of MBA school, but I had a track that I was going to follow, and it kind of got subverted very early on because while I was still working my day job, which was an unrelated industry, I started doing some side work for a small training and development firm, helping them develop their presentations, compile their employee data, and I also ended up helping the guy doing research and helping him launch his book. Very interesting how that happened. That's where I got the entrepreneurial bug. So a couple of years into this, uh, I decide, yeah, training development is still my thing, but it's going to happen because I'm going to own a company that does it. Funny thing, that's when e-learning started happening. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, computers. I love computers. So you mean the future of training and development is going to be a bit more than crafting your PowerPoint slides and uh, understanding employee vectors and, and trends and things like that. Oh, okay, this sounds a lot of fun. And then I also discovered, because uh, in that day job, even though I wasn't actually in human resources or, or TND, I, in my, the role that I actually had, I did training for the staff. And I found that, and I found my natural style is to be kind of a showman, make people laugh and entertain them basically while teaching them how it works. So what the reason I bring all this up is it's just a matter of A, programming yourself to be on that career track, going back to my first point about that quote from the book. And second is seeing how your career path can be influenced and enhanced by interests that may not look like they're directly on that plan. I would go a step further. I happen to not fully agree with the first uh, piece of advice for two reasons. Okay. One, I think it narrows you, right? When you say on my way to becoming a CFO. Yeah. It is putting you in the box of being a CFO, right? And people then very much hear you're either a CFO or not. Is this CFO related or not? And uh -huh. particularly... As jobs in the future become more fluid, as there, there won't be as clearly defined boundaries and certainly titles, you want to think about what you do, not the title with it. And then equally important, what matters to other people is what you can do for them. What problems can you solve for them? And if you just say CFO, they have a preconceived notion of what a CFO does. I know yeah. people describe me as, oh, Mark, he's a tech guy. Oh, okay. uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I have that label applied to me because years ago I owned a web development firm, even though I'm not a web designer. But go ahead. Right. And so they might have certain things. So 
if you're an accountant, you want to be an accountant who solves financial problems. Probably gonna be something more specific than that. I'm not as deep into accounting, uh, but you want to convey here is what I bring to the table. Okay. It's not just a title. Yeah. So maybe it's not a title um, and it could be more of a value statement. So going back to what you said, I am a staff accountant who solves financial problems. So maybe your niche becomes, I'm a staff accountant who focuses on optimizing how the company's funds are allocated. I'm just making this up as I go along here. So you become, you begin to be seen as the person who, regardless of which role you have, uh, you bring the value to it. So maybe you do it as a CFO. Maybe your upward trend goes diagonal and you end up in IT. But the idea can still be the same is you're the efficiency person. You're the optimization person. You're the, uh, you're the bugs, budget maximization person. You're the, uh, you're the leak plugger who finds all the profit leaks and redirects that money. So the principle in that quote may still apply. We can just word it differently. Right. And now I'd also note, if to yourself, you're saying, this is my future state, if you want to do affirmations, fantastic. That works for many people. It's a useful technique. But what you literally say to someone else, if you're saying, here's what I'm going to be in five years, 10 years, great. How does that help me today? So focus on the value you deliver today. Right. Internally, certainly tell yourself about your goals and where you'll be. Okay, I see. I see what you mean. It's not like you're going to go to a networking event. Oh, you're going to yeah, see me at a networking event. Okay, remember, way over on the introvert scale, uh, I'm not going to say, "Hi, I'm a I'm a person who helps people launch their podcasts on my way to becoming the next Joe Rogan." What the hell does that mean? Exactly. It, it, it means something to me. It means a lot to me, actually, because I would love that type of deal. Uh, but uh, and that would be a great place for me to end up. But maybe I go there, and maybe I don't. Uh, or I could say I I am the creator of the Reach System. I help entrepreneurs launch their profit-producing podcasts, and my goal is to help people redefine networking and client attraction in ways that build relationships without asking rather than giving. There you go. It, it's your elevator pitch. It's who you are, but in relation to your audience and what your audience needs. So I'll pull out an, an example we were talking about earlier. When I was talking to you about coming on your podcast, I sent you an interview kit. Yes. Said, Here's some background. Here's some content. I could have said, hey, put me on your show. Oh, go look at my website. Go figure out what value I'll deliver to your audience. Instead, I said, let me help you. Let right. me make it easier for you. And all of us, whenever we're reaching out to someone, whether we're doing it as a salesperson, as a candidate for a job, or just talking to other people inside the company or out, we want to make it easy for the other person. We want to make them do as little work as possible to get the understanding and saying, this is how I can help you. You and I are both podcast hosts, and we do a volume of interviews. In fact, I'm uh, I'm involved with multiple podcasts, so I have even less bandwidth for this. And some of the teaching around how to be a good podcast host involves if somebody wants to be a guest on your show, you go and listen to five other interviews they did and read their book and everything else. And, you know, I don't have time. I, I, I have neither the time nor the interest to do that. That's the first item. Second item. Somebody shows up at my doorstep saying, I want to be on 
my they want to be on my show number one i'm i i'm just going to assume they know what they're doing and number two as a host i have a responsibility to help that guest be a great interview even if they show up being a bit of a dud now one way to sort of blast past both of those issues is what you just said. When you came to us wanting to be on our show, and actually you referred to us by somebody in my Mac, which is my mutual assistance community of podcast hosts, you, um, you had a, a kit ready for me. One of the requirements to be on the Business Creators Radio Show, is, as our hundreds of guests know, is they have to provide me suggested interview questions. The reason for that is twofold. I need to know very quickly where to shine the uh, light on your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, help you get your message out. That's number one, because that's what you're here for. You're here to deliver a message and to do client attraction of your own. We're adults here. We're being candid. Second item is, is I need to be able to look at it quickly and say, oh, this is interesting. So it's not just another guy with a career book or another woman who does Facebook ads like, okay, what's interesting about this? Why would somebody listen to this and not one of the millions of other options available across the 850,000 podcasts that are live today with uh, the hundreds of millions of episodes that are currently available for streaming? So that kind of, I think, ties us back to the careers, which is somebody takes a quick look at you and say, all right, what makes Mark Hirschberg unique? Why should we pick him as one of the ones we actually interview rather than the one that uh, we forward the resume to HR and say, after we book the person we hire, send them the rejection letter? Absolutely. It is, it's all about the specifics of what you're delivering in this moment to this person. And you might broaden that to what you'll deliver, maybe not this moment to tomorrow, what you can deliver, but it really has to be concrete. And I also just want to, since we've, we've referenced her, a shout out to Denise Griffiths, who was kind enough to introduce us. She has a wonderful podcast herself and uh, glad she made this happen. Absolutely. Me, me too. So we've covered the need for a career plan and part of what it benefits. So uh, in terms of creating a career plan, if I'm asking this correctly, what are the types of questions that somebody should ask while forming that? Ask of themselves, ask of their peer group, what have you. Yeah, I start out in the book with a list of 20 questions, which, by the way, are available for free on the website. These questions are some standard ones. What are things you enjoy doing or don't enjoy doing? But they also get broader about impact that you might want to have on your community or the world or your family plans. And it's important to remember when we're doing our career planning, our career is one aspect of our life. Now, if you're like me, you love your career and it's a big part of your life, but it is still part and not the whole. So when we look at our career, we have to look at what we wanna have life. So here's a classic example. I had lots of friends who at 22 right out of school were seduced by consulting. Right. What a great lifestyle. You're when there's not a pandemic, you're getting on. A uh, I, I've seen I've seen the website uh, getting drunk in first class dot com. But yeah. Yeah. There. There you go. And uh, a friend of mine actually is one of those like super mileage travelers where they'll use miles to to all fly to Singapore for six hours to hang out because they have the miles to burn. And so they love this lifestyle. And it's great being that road warrior. 
And at 24, you know, that's exciting and everything's on an expense account. It's more than you could afford at 24. Right. But when you're 44 and you've got a spouse and kids at home, spending four or five days on the road, that might not be so great. And so you need to think about your needs in life today and in the future and take that into account. Are you going to be okay being on the road then? Are you going to instead, if, you, if you're not, figure out how you can pivot at some point between now and then to be in a job that doesn't keep you on the road. So in answering these questions, we look at our entire life as well as our job to figure out what might be of interest or not of interest. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, and again, it just goes back to, to focus. Uh, does this take a lot of time to do? It shouldn't. For some folks, and this will vary depending on who you are, some people might say, yeah, I really want to sit down and spend, you know, concentrated two, three hours really thinking through these questions. For other folks, it's the type of thing that you think about when you're commuting to work, when you're in the shower, when you have that kind of dead time that your mind starts to wander. So at some point, there's probably a couple hours worth of work that whether you do it in one sitting or you know, over six months, just start thinking through these questions, mulling them over, and that's going to help you start to formulate this plan. Remember, of course, we said the plan is not set in stone. You don't say, well, I did it once and I'm done. You want to regularly come back to it. And so every six months, every year, take another 30 minutes, an hour, just to review your plan, think through some of the questions. Has anything changed in your life? Have your values changed at all? So when you think about your life and your career and the decades it will last, couple of hours every year is not a huge investment to make, especially considering the return is going to be so high. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we've already discussed how this can be fluid because career paths can take interesting trajectories and we can make discoveries along the way. We also had the little uh, discussion about how you define yourself and how that can either box you in or open your horizons. Uh, I guess there's arguments to be made for both sides of that, so to speak, but I get the point that it's about how you create attractive energy, either for yourself and or for those who you may be looking to have assist you. So that leads to my next question is, is uh, you know, who can help you with all this career planning stuff? You are not alone in doing this. Now, I'm going to list out the people who should help you. That doesn't mean they all will help you. Yeah. First and foremost, you have to take responsibility for this. It is your life. You're the one in charge of it. And so don't rely on others. Hopefully they'll help out, but you have to be responsible. The buck stops here. Now, you have, supporting you, friends and family, and they're going to be helpful. They know you. They see aspects of you you might not really see yourself. And so they're great for advice and feedback. You have coworkers, hopefully your manager. A good manager, I believe, should be helping the people under him. Unfortunately, not all managers do. And I, I take this to the extreme. If I have an employee where the right thing for this employee is to move on to another job, I will help that employee find another job. Yeah. Because jobs are short, careers and relationships are long, and I'd rather help them out because it's going to pay off in the end. HR should also be there to help you. 
again, some companies HR supportive, others, they barely do more than make sure paychecks go out. So this will depend. Then you can use other larger resources within, for example, your industry, right? And it could be going to industry events and listening to trends. It could be listening to great podcasts like this one, just getting input, getting ideas. They're going to help you think through these questions and think through directions. So start with yourself, look for these other people, but then pull in ideas anywhere you can find them. Yeah, that's... Yeah, now what's interesting is, you know, you bring up friends and family and then entrepreneurial teaching, they tell us that sometimes those are the last people we should listen to because they may look at things from a fear perspective. I remember when I made the decision that I'd reached the point where I was ready to jump off the corporate wagon and go full-time entrepreneur and the friends and family, boy, the feedback I got from them is, what? You've got great benefits at that job. You're just going to quit? Yeah. The story I give in the book, many years ago, I was trying to hire someone as what was back then a system administrator. We were a tech startup. This was before the dot-com crash. Yeah. And we interview this guy. We like him. He's excited about the company. He accepts a job offer. I get a call the next day from the recruiter who said, listen, this guy feels terrible. He has to back out. He can't take the job. Like, okay, what, what happened in a day? He went home to his wife and said, oh yeah, I got this great job. His wife said, hell no, we have a baby on the way. I know what happens when you join startup companies. And this is back in the days when startups were 60, 70 hour weeks Yeah, for, for everyone, not just for the founders. Right. Said, I know what happens to you. I know you enjoy it. You're going to love it. And there's no way I'm letting you do a startup when we have a newborn in the house. Now she had a very valid concern. Yeah. So, and certainly listen to your spouse. You've made a partnership and when it affects her, listen to her. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. You raise each other up. You don't, uh, yeah. uh, You don't just do things without your spouse. Uh, I remember, um, you know, a friend of mine told me once that uh, he had to make a decision for their house or something and the wife didn't agree with it. And he said, well, honey, this is one of those things you and I don't have to agree on. Now, this had to do with building something out in the yard. It didn't have to do with his career path, but go ahead. But let's consider a more subtle issue. So suppose he's deciding between two jobs. One of them pays, you know, let's say $10,000, $15,000 more, but it's a longer commute. The job's not as interesting or engaging. He's not as excited by the people. The other job, shorter commute, more interesting job, but less money, right? Now, perhaps she grew up in a home where they were always struggling for money. And she has in her makeup a a fear of being poor, right? A fear of this, even if it's not true. So she very much wants to push them towards that job with money, right? So listen to your spouse, but then also recognize, okay, well, she's not the one showing up to a job every day. If you're going to be miserable... That's going to come home too. And if you have a newborn in the house, that kid may not have uh, too many happy memories. Now there's no one right answer because, well, what what happens if you're not, if you're happy at work, but now it's pulling a strand on your relationship because she feels like you didn't listen. Uh It's Uh subtle, right? But we do have to recognize there are other people. They are going to give input that is often well-intentioned but may or may not align to our own needs. And you have to find the right balance that works for you. Yeah. In my case, when I 
made the jump. Uh, okay, first of all, to answer the benefits question, I had already figured out how to get comprehensive individual insurance and how I was going to pay for that. This was before Obamacare when you could actually afford it. So uh, that I, I had that box checked off. It's one of the first ones I dealt with. The second was debt. I used the fact that I uh, had a paycheck to pay off everything except the student loan, which is the last thing I'll ever pay off because of the interest. And uh, I also had, since I knew I was leaving the company anyway, I didn't need a vacation that summer. So I just banked all the PTO time so that when I jumped, I'd be maxed on my PTO, which would translate to the equivalent of two more months of getting paychecks. Furthermore, I took maximum advantage of their, uh, their, matching contribution plans. So I had some savings toward my retirement. So I had a leg up there. And I also had the benefit that at the time I still lived in my parents' house. So I didn't have rent or upkeep or anything. And uh, so I didn't have to wonder where my next mortgage payment, my rent payment was going to come from. Now, also in my plan was the moment I jumped, I was going to move out of my parents' house. But yeah, I figured that one out too. So I did have a plan, at least for the first, first six months. And uh, if I can tell you what inspired me to that, about 10 months before I made the jump, yeah, I'd gone about a year or so trying to decide whether I'm just going to you know, be a corporate hustler with a side gig or whether I'm ultimately going to develop the side gig into a full-time thing. And something happened on November 19th, 2004, that brutally made my decision for me. So I told my client about it and uh, he's, you know, my client, but also one of my mentors. And he said the following to me, he said, here's, here's what you need to do. Uh, go into this job of yours on Monday, hand in your resignation, send me a copy of it, and I will give you $3,000. Thinking, hmm. what? He's going to give me, he said, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your PayPal address and you send me that and you will have $3,000 to your name in five minutes. You don't owe it to me. You don't have to give me any services. You don't have to pay it back. I will give you the $3,000. And I thought, okay, this doesn't happen to real people in the real world. So I turned it down and I sat there miserable for another 10 months. Uh, what he was trying to convey to me is he had a vision of he and I doing a lot more work together. And the sooner I could get free of that job, the more he and I could do together. So he viewed the $3,000 as an investment and getting access to me, you know, nine to five Monday through Friday. And he also tried to explain to me that with $3,000, if you apply things correctly in 60 days, you can have a sustainable business because that'll give you the freedom and the bandwidth to go get more clients. I didn't have the belief system at the time. I tell people today, if you ever get an offer like that and you jump on it like you, you, you jump on it like God personally reached down and patted you on the head and said, this is the way. So this leads to my next question is this comes to beliefs. And this is maybe a little bit different than what they originally planned on. But if a person struggles to believe that they themselves can achieve their dreams, their goals, their career, how can they move past that so they can develop a career plan that'll work for them? There's no one belief that will magically work for all people. You and I happen to be entrepreneurial people, the type who can quit a job and say, I have no idea 
where the next dollar is coming from, but I'll figure it out, right? That doesn't work for everyone. So let me phrase this as a more common question I get. Folks often come to me and say, I don't know, should I do a startup company or a big corporation? You know, something stable, right? I don't know which one to do. And the answer is, it depends on who you are. For some folks, being part of that big corporation is helpful. They feel it's more secure. We know this company is not going to go out of business. Now, of course, it could have layoffs. But Enron. at least it won't go out of business. Also, in a Enron, big- Enron, Enron, you sure? Yeah. The biggest uh, energy company in the world. And uh, two months later, they were gone. <laughs> Nothing is guaranteed in this world. But that does go to your point that there's a perception that a larger company is more likely to have the foundation that they'll either be there for the long haul, or if something happens, you'll probably see it coming in enough time. But go ahead. Right. Statistically, a company with a billion dollar market cap, the odds that they'll be around in two years, much higher than a company that you know is has a market cap of $2 million. Right. So they, they like just that comfort and stability. Also, they like the structure in the organization. This is my role. It's well-defined. I get what I'm supposed to do. I understand the rules. If I want to get that promotion, this is the path. Maybe there's even an HR department that can help map out how you get to the next level and they can provide training and support. People in startups, okay, you do not have that stability. Your company, most of mine I work for, we could be out of business in six months. The structure does not exist. There is not an org chart or it's very vague. Your role changes from one month to the next. And for someone who does well in that organization, they'll say, you know what? I like having it ill-defined. I did well in my career because early on I said, you know, here are some problems. No one seems to be dealing with it. I'm going to take it on. There's no one to stop me. I'm not treading on anyone else's territory. And so I just started doing it. And quickly that became part of my responsibility. I expanded my skill set just by doing because no one was going to stop me. At a big company, someone's going to say, what are you doing in this department? You don't belong here. So different people are going to thrive under different circumstances. And that's true as well for some folks who take the the shackles off and just give them $3,000 and say, go. And they're going to do great. And others are going to say, oh, my God, this is this is not comfortable. Let me go back to the safe company. Yeah, uh, the company I worked for for four years, when I first started there, they were still kind of a startup. And it had a lot of that whole innovative, a uh, little bit messy, but but energetic startup feel to it. Like, Hey, you, uh, you want to jump in here anywhere, just go ahead and do it. And I, and I watched over the four years that I was there, how it just became bigger. And along with that more and more corporate and more and more um, evaluating people's value based on where they fall on some flow chart that was designed using a PowerPoint slide. And that wasn't really for me. And that helped push me out the door, which is perfectly as well. I, in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I discuss the whole thing about why meetings suck and everything and uh, how meetings are often activity that creates the illusion of action. So one thing that concerns me about large organizations is the number of meetings they have. Uh, to me, it's just, uh, in many cases, an excuse for people to get away from their desks for an hour. Uh, so I can answer this question for myself is, I like the smaller companies. I like the ones that are a little bit scrappy and a little bit uh, messy. 
because yeah, that in itself creates a bit of static, but on the other hand, it does give you more opportunities to do things that you and perhaps others didn't think were possible. Yeah, myself, I also like smaller but growing because what's really fun for me is taking a company where we're doing something. We have some products, some process. Yeah. But to where we're going to be in six or 12 months, it has to be different. The product has to change. The process has to change. And that just happens every time. Because for me, death is here's a company, sit here in this position and just do this over and over, get 2% growth and we'll be happy. That's my nightmare. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Uh, I, I've, yeah, I do some work with my business consulting with, uh, with companies, moving them from startup to revenue. And one of my stories that I love telling is this one company that we moved in that direction, got them into actual revenue. And during the first year I worked with them, they were startup without revenue, basically. And part of my involvement with that company was traveling to company retreats where we got entertained by PowerPoint slides and presentations and marketing plans and business plans that seemed to change with every weekly meeting. Now we get to the point where the company is putting on an event, people are signing up for it, they're giving the company money, startup to revenue, and the startup owner says, you know what, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should, uh, I should fly you in and we should have a retreat and discuss what's going on here. And it's like every single person in the organization immediately wrote back and said, no, we're not coming. Hmm. And the reason, the reason they gave was, is we're with the time we have available to you, because these are all contractors, not employees with the time we have available to you. Uh, we have this event that we're selling tickets for, and we have new stuff that happens once you actually make a sale we can't take five days off to come hang out with you sorry not sorry and at that moment i thought oh now we're getting somewhere you bring up a good point which is for senior people so as an executive i do spend a lot of time in meetings and because the nature of my job is to look across different groups understand and coordinate and the more senior you go, basically, the more meetings you have. But yep. we higher in the hierarchy need to remember our jobs and the jobs of others are different. In fact, one of the key aspects of my job as an executive is to protect my team members from interruptions. I want to let them do as much work as possible. If I can take a meeting to save them time, I will try to do that. So they can focus on work. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones creating marketing campaigns, selling, writing software. They're the ones doing the work. As executives, we do some of it. But a lot of the time, we're just coordinating other people who do the actual work. When you said protect, I thought you, uh, and this may actually be part of the answer too, also fight their turf battles for them. That is it as well. Right. I am the person if they need resources, if they need help, if they need access, that is my job. So they can focus as much as possible on their work. And I'm just there for support. I one thing in, in the book I mentioned, I always think of the org chart as upside down because it is not about that executive leadership team, is about the people traditionally at the bottom, I view them at the top, who are doing the actual work. 
The rest of us, we are in a support role and we support the people doing the work. Yeah, so we're taking that thing, we're just flipping her upside down. And basically, the executives and the management become the foundation that pushes everybody else up. Exactly. The CEO of GM, she has not built a single car. I, I don't mean right. that. Oh, it's terrible. That's not her job. Her job is to make sure the people on the line have everything they need so they can build the cars. And that's her job and the job of everyone else in their executive team is to support the people actually building the cars. Yeah, that, uh, that makes, that makes a, a lot of sense. So um, let's say we have about 10 minutes here and there's one more big point I want to cover before we wrap up. Uh, you know, we've discussed you know, career planning. We've also veered a bit into organizational effectiveness. Uh, there's even a little piece of time management we've gotten into with, we didn't use the label, but we got a bit into sponsorship relationships, uh, having sponsors in your organization. We've spoken about alignment with management, which when you think about it is pertinent to your career because those alignments can move you forward, sometimes even diagonally within different departments or even within different companies, depending on the network. So uh, what about somebody who doesn't really know what they want to do? I've been there. I graduated from Penn State without a clue. And that's okay. Now, we can get scared early on because we have a friend who, since the age of five, he's always wanted to be a doctor, right? And this yeah. is the path and he's been preparing for it. And that's great if that's who you are and you know what you want. Fantastic. For most people, they don't know what they want to do. And it's so unfortunate that we make them choose so early. So what you want to do, don't focus on job titles. Go out, talk to as many people as you can, ask them about their jobs. What do you do in this job? Not just in general, day to day. What do you actually do? What parts do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? What are the skills someone needs to be successful in this job? What should someone starting in this field know that you might not have, right? And just ask and ask and ask. And then you're going to start to hear patterns. Don't focus on the title. Focus on things such as you know, these accountants seem to sit at their desk in front of spreadsheets all day. And these programmers, they sit at their desks in front of code all day. And this sounds terrible. But that salesperson talks about traveling a lot and going out and pitching new customers and the business development person and this marketing person who does field marketing, you know, she's often out of the office. Okay, what's the pattern here? You don't want to sit at a computer all day. You do like the idea of being out there, doing some travel, meeting new people. So then you start to say, here are the tasks, here are the activities that sound interesting or not. Now let me start to look for jobs where I hear these activities I like. So don't focus on this job, yay or nay, that job, yay or nay. Construct for yourself, what are the different things you'd like to do? And then start asking around, hey, what job would let me do this, then the other thing? And that's going to lead you to where you want to go. Yeah, that's, that's some interesting stuff to really consider. And that's a journey that I went on myself. Uh, I... I, I created a whole presentation that I shared with my audience a couple of months ago, and it was actually kind of a big hit. And the whole and the, the main gist of it was how I use simple technologies 
to enable myself to be accessible and at the same time left the hell alone. So what I've discovered is I go through energetic cycles and I design my business and my life around it. So today we're having this conversation. This would be a day where I would possibly schedule several, several of these interviews. Uh, this would be a day where I would uh, you know, schedule something where I know I'm going to have to call this company. I'm going to have to sit on hold. This is when I do my consulting and coaching sessions with clients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is also when I just take time to think and do research. Then there are days when I want to tackle a big project. And I know energetically that any distraction, because I understand the science behind this, can throw me off. So I need to know that I start my day without even having to look at email or messages or anything like that. I can just get to work, do my thing, and then come and then come back up for air when it's done. So that leads to the question of, as you said, what do you like? Do you like to like to hang out uh, in the office uh, at your chair, focus on your computer, getting in depth with something? That could be a career path. Uh, do you prefer or the interactive side of things, like maybe with an extroverted personality, you might be better at sales, but you might not understand what those geeks in IT do. You don't have to understand what they do. Uh, all that you have to know about the geeks in IT is, they're, they're, is that uh, their process backs up your sales so that you can deliver. I, I would actually slightly disagree with that. And what I have to talk about in chapter two, working effectively, is... Too many people say, well, this is my role and I just know they do their job. If you can go out and understand what are the folks in IT do? What are the folks in marketing do in accounting? If you just think, well, accounting, you know, they just write checks. Okay, yes, they do that, but they do more. Accounting might offer credit to your customers, right? And do your customers really look for credit? Is that important as you're thinking about expanding the business? Will credit lines be important to getting new customers or not? The more you understand other aspects of the business, the more you understand how you fit in and deliver value. And then you can start to see ways you can deliver more value. Just as we mentioned earlier how, okay, I sent you, here's, here's some background to make it easier for you to have me on your show. If you say, well, you know what? When I work with this other department, now they understand what they do. If I can take an extra step towards them and do a little extra work to make it easier for them, now I am seen as a more valuable contributor. I'm giving more to the company and that's going to accelerate my career in this company. Little communication tip for our listeners. Uh, you, you can often go through life without ever admitting you're wrong. Here's the phrase. I'd like to amend my earlier statement to add clarity. What I was actually thinking in my mind, and the words might not have matched it, is not that you that uh, say sales has to be ignorant of information technology, but they don't have to dismiss each other either or feel that one is more valuable than the other. Part of the advice I was given when I was in MBA school is, no, man, you shouldn't do human resource management. You should concentrate in sales because those are the people that make the money. Those are the ones who matter. Really? Okay. So if I am try if I go into sales and I'm trying to sell something and there's no corporate infrastructure or technological infrastructure that allows what I'm selling to have backup, what does that do for me? If the accounting department has credit programs that will allow our high ticket customers to pay on installments and I'm not able to convey that to my prospects, what kind of salesperson am I? 
So my amended version is that we don't have to disparage each other or say that one necessarily has more weight than the other. Uh, it's a matter of understanding how they all work together. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's a little uh, aha moment for our listeners. Uh, you know, say, oh, I'm so sorry I said that. I was wrong. Thank you for helping me see the light. You can amend your answer just like we amend the Constitution as things change and we need to evolve certain laws. And you know, for many people in this country, it's a good thing we can amend our Constitution. Thank God in, some, in many cases for millions of people. So uh, that exists in business as well. Just like you can amend the marketing plan, you can amend the IT plan, and you can also amend your career plan without scrapping it. Exactly. You're going right where I was thinking. Because our career plans, they're going to change. And as you point out, they're never wrong. They're always right for where you are today, but you might need to amend it for tomorrow. Yeah. So that's just a, that's just a matter of being fluent and current with the time. So if you are a staff accountant on your way to becoming the deputy to the CFO, uh, you can amend that by saying, I'm a staff accountant on my way to developing, uh, developing systems that help companies take on more high ticket clients by facilitating payment systems and credit applications. Well said. Yeah. All right. So we're just about uh, done here. I'd love to keep this going for like three more hours, but unfortunately they only give us an hour. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and uh, make sure that I take advantage of what our listeners have, which is the ability to subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show on your favorite syndicated network so that you can go back and recapture those aha moments because you helped me actually come up with an elevator pitch, which I didn't have one of up until now. So thank you for that. And for those on the edge of their seat wanting to take this to the next level, how do they engage with you and what do you have for them? Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It sounds like there were so many great moments that we came up with. Your listeners should definitely hit rewind and listen to this again. Yes. Now, for those who want to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can see where to buy the book, all the usual places you can probably guess. You can learn more about the book. There is a free app that goes along with the book and it's linked to the Apple and Android stores from the website. There is a resources page with a whole bunch of free resources that will help you develop these skills, other books, other websites that can really help you with your career plan and going further, plus free downloads like the questions we mentioned earlier. All of this at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Say that one more time because I missed it. Optionally, www.thecareertoolkitbook.com. Thecareertoolkitbook.com. Awesome. So Mark Hirschberg, thank you so much for being with us today and joining us for our little private mastermind session. I'm sure our listeners are loving every minute of. It has been an honor and demonstratively, believe me, an education. Thanks for having me on the show. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.